Okay. So we're going to pick it up from the Pei Amit Aleph. We are four lines into the page, last word on the line. So the Mishnah had discussed the concept of Shetuf and Mavois, that if you're, let's say you want to save everybody in your area from the hassle of donating food, you could be Mazaket for everyone, which is that you take your food and you give it and you donate it to, on behalf of each one. And the way you do it is you have to have a third party pick, pick it up on their behalf. So how high do they have to pick it up? So the Gemara said a tefach. So mei you're telling me that in order to make the Kenyan it has to be lifted up a tefach, but the Bryce says as follows, How do you do Shetufim Mavoyus? You bring a barrel of wine, of oil, of dates, of figs, or other fruits. If it belongs to you, then you have to get a third party to, to, to accept it on behalf of the other members of the community drive. Now, and if it's their food, then then all you got to do is tell them that you're taking it for the shit of, meaning if you, if there, there's, you know, it's like a kibbutz, so everyone has the food, everyone has their own food stored in a certain area, you could take their food, you just got to tell them, so you're not stealing. When you donate the food, when you, when you are mezaket for them, magbiyam and akarka mashu, you lift it up a little bit. So the, that's the question. So the question is, you said a tafach, this says a little bit. Which implies less than a tevach. So the Gemara answers, "My mashunami to come a tevach." When the Brisa says a little bit, it means a tevach. A tevach is about three to four inches, depending on who you ask. So when the Brisa says a little bit, it, it meant a tevach. Okay, itmar. The Gemara continues, "Shetufim voice Regarding shetufim voice Rav Amar ain't sarach lezakos. Rav says that you do not have to. To, to be mezaket for them, right? Mezaket, again, zikoi means I have my food, I want to give it, I want to donate part of it towards the Shetufim device on behalf of all the members of the community drive. So you have to do what's called zachin la'adam, which is you give it to a third person and he and he accepts it on their behalf. He accepts it as a shliach of theirs. Shliach, is a chagira, but anyway, he, he accepts it and it works. Rav says that you don't have to do that. Rav disagrees. Rav, we know, has the status of a Tana. He disagreed with our Mishnah, and he feels that it's not necessary. You could just say this is on behalf of everybody. You don't have to have a third party pick it up. Not necessary at all. Okay. Shmuel Amr Tzarech Lezakos, and Shmuel follows the Mishnah. So, so far, Rav is arguing on the Mishnah, and he holds that by Shetufim Avos, you do not have to do uh, Zechus. Now, what about Erev Tchumen? What about an Erev Tchumen? Let's say I, I want to set an Erev Tchumen for you. So let's say, uh, you know, I know you're traveling and you, you, know, you want to have your house be on a, by a certain tree. So I take bread and I put it down, but it's my bread. So the question is, can I just say this bread works for him or do I have to do the same process of Zachin, find a third party to pick it up on their behalf? So Rav Omar Tzaruch Lezakis. Rav holds that by Erev Tchumen you have to. Shmuel Omar ain't Tzaruch Lezakis, but Shmuel says you don't. So you have Machlegas Rav and Shmuel in two areas, whether you need Zuchus to be Zachin Adam by Shetufim Mavos, and whether it's needed by Erev Tchumen. So the Gemara says, Shmuel makes a lot of sense. Shmuel is just following Mishnayis. The Mishnah that we just had by Shetufim Mavos says you need to do Zachin, so he says you have to do Zachin. The Mishnah later on by Erev Tchumen mentions 
makes no mention of Zachin, so he implies that you don't have to. So Shmuel just follows the Mishnah. But Rav is a little bit of a problem, because I understand that he argues our Mishnah over here, but he also said that by Erev Tchumen, setting up your Tchum, you do not have to do Zachin. The, I'm sorry, that you do have to do Zachin. The problem is the Mishnah implies that you don't. So he says that you do, the Mishnah implies that you don't. So is he arguing on that Mishnah as well? Again, he's arguing regarding Shetuf and Mavos in our Mishnah. Fine. But he says regarding Tchumen that you have to. The Mishnah later on, in Daf Pei Beis, in Tudafim, makes no mention of doing Zachin by Erev Tchumen. So does he argue with that as well? So the Gemara says, Tanoi. The truth is, whether you need Zachin by Erev Tchumen is a Machlokas Tanoim. The Mishnah later on says you do not, but Rav follows a different Tana that says that you do. So it's a Machlokas Tanoim whether you have to do Zachin by Erev Tchumen. So if you want to set up a Tchum for somebody, do you need a third party to pick it up on their behalf and make an active acquisition, or is it just enough to say this is for them? So Rav says you have to do an active acquisition, and he follows the following Tana. The following Tana. What's the following Tana? I'm Rav Yudamarav. Rav Yudamarav says, The daughter-in-law of Rav Yudamarav, she went to a bathhouse before Shabbos. The bathhouses were out of the Tchum. They were in the middle of nowhere. And while she was in the bathhouse, she was there for too long, and it got dark. So she was outside of the Tchum. And her mother-in-law made an Erev Tchumen for her before Shabbos to allow her to come home. And he said she cannot return home. He felt that the Erev Tchumen that her mother-in-law had set up for her was inadequate. Now the question is why? Again, Rav daughter-in-law is in the Beis HaMerechatz. While she's in the Beis HaMerechatz, her mother-in-law sets up an Erev Tchumen for her for her to come home, and Rechia said it's no good. So the question is, why? Two options. By the way, we'll get to the two reasons why it could be a problem in a moment. But Rechia said that it's Aser, and Rav Yishmol said to him, You should not be so strict when it comes to Erevin, you should be lenient. So he had a machloikis Rechia and Rav Yishmol whether the Erev Tchumen that the mother-in-law set up, whether it's effective. So the Gemara wants to know, what exactly was the issue to understand what the Machlegas is? Two options. Meshel Chamaisa Erevala Umashum Option number one was that the issue was that the mother-in-law used the mother-in-law used her own her own food. So the mother-in-law used her own food to set up the Erev Tchumen, not the daughter-in-law's. And the mother-in-law did not do Zachen. So option number one of why it's not effective, according to Rav Chia, is the mother-in-law used her own food. So she took her own bread. And she set up an Erev Tchumen for her daughter-in-law, but she never did Zachen. She never had a third party acquired on behalf. And Rav Chia felt that's a problem because Rav Chia holds that you're not, you have to do Zachen by Erev Tchumen. You have to have the, the food acquired on behalf of the person with an act of acquisition. And that's, by the way, what Rav holds. Rav Yishmael disagrees. So the Machlegis Rav and Shmuel that we had before, whether you need to do Zalchin by Erev Tchumen, seems to be the Machlegis of Chia and Rav Yishmael, whether this daughter-in-law's Erev Tchumen was effective. That's one option. Oidelmor, perhaps, no. 
really the case was, and nothing to do with Zachin, it's Mishala Irvila. The case was that the mother-in-law used the daughter-in-law's food. So it's not a case of Zachin at all. So what was the issue? Mishum Deloi Bisham she never told her she was doing this. Rav Chia held that it's a problem, not because of Zachin. I don't know what he would say about Zachin. It's because it was Shleimi Daita. She made an Erev Tchumen without telling her. So she didn't have consent. Rabbi Shemal felt that you don't have to get consent. So the question is, what was the issue here? Was this a Zachin issue, and it was the mother-in-law's food, and she didn't necessarily give it over to the daughter-in-law properly, or it's debatable whether she did? Or it was really the daughter-in-law's food, and it was done without her consent, without her knowledge. So the Gemara says, I was told from Rabbi the Erev was made from the mother-in-law's food, and she had not done Zochen, meaning she had not had a third party acquire it on behalf of the daughter. The Machlegas of Chi and Rabbi Shmuel is whether that's necessary by Erev Tchumen, the same Machlegas that we had before of Rav and Shmuel. Whether it's necessary is a Machlegas between the Tanoim of Rav Chia and Rav Shmuel. The Gemara says, similarly, Amr Erzeil Rav Yaakov de Bas Yaakov, When you read there, travel on the path of Tzur, the same question. What was the issue with this mother-in-law's Tchum? It was from the mother-in-law's food, and the debate is whether she has to do Zachin. She did not do Zachin. Rav Chia felt that it's a problem because you have to do Zachin for it to be effective. And Rabbi Shmuel disagrees. He feels that it's not necessary. Amr of Nachman. So we've had a discussion whether you need to do Zachin again, which is to have a third party acquire these items on behalf of the person, the recipient. We've had a debate whether it's necessary by Erev Tchumen. We've had a debate whether it's necessary by Shetuf and Mavos. So Amr of Nachman, Naktinan, we have a tradition. Echad Erev Tchumen, Echad Erev Chatseris, Echad Shetufim Vavois. All these three things, whether it's Erev Tchumen, whether it's Erev Chatseris, whether it's Shetufim Vavois, Tzarech Lezakis. You need to do Zachin, you have to confer ownership by a third party. Meaning it's not enough just to say, oh, it's theirs. You have to, someone has to do an acquisition. Either they themselves are a third party for them, someone's got to do an act of acquisition. The only thing we have not talked about regarding this question is Erev Tavshilin. Erev Tavshilin means if Shabbos falls out right after Yom Tif, so it's a three-day Yom Tif, so you want to be able to cook for Shabbos on Yom Tif, so let's say, so it's Friday's day one of Yom Tif, and the second day of Yom Tif is Shabbos. So you want to be able to cook on Yom Tif for Shabbos. The problem is we, we're not allowed to prepare for one day to the next. So there's a process where it's called Erev Tavshilin, where you take aside some food, you make a bracha, and by doing this, you declare that you already started the preparation for Shabbos before Yom Tif, and it allows you to cook on Yom Tif for Shabbos. So the question is, if I'm doing Erev Tavshilin for you, do I have to, again, so I have my matzah, I have my egg, whatever I take the food, I'm doing it for you. The question is, again, do I have to have someone acquired on your behalf, or is it enough to say I'm doing it for you? Same question. Erev Tavshilin, Tzarech L'Zagaz, Tzarech L'Zagaz. What about Erev Tavshilin? Some Rav Yosef. What's the question? Shmuel said it beferish. Erev Tavshilin. Shmuel said it very clearly. Erev Tavshilin. Tzarech Lezakis. You have to confer ownership. It's not enough to donate it for people. You have to actually do an active acquisition. So that's the answer. 
So Abaya said, he obviously did not hear this opinion of Shmuel. Again, Rav Nachman asked the question, do you need an active acquisition or not? So he said, didn't you hear that Shmuel said you do? So Abaya said, he obviously didn't hear it, because if he heard it, he would never ask. So the Gemara says, maybe he had heard of it. So why is he asking? Because we just had Machleksim before, you know, we, you know, he, he obviously never heard of Shmuel. Shmuel said, Erev Tavshilin, you need to do Zuchus. So, so Rav Nachman, when he asked, says, the Gemara says, he obviously didn't hear that, because if he heard that, he obviously didn't hear that. So I said, of course he didn't hear that. If he would have heard, he would never would have asked. And Mara says, no, no, maybe he did hear of it, and he still asked why, because we find that there was a Machleikas by Erev Tchumen, and we find there was a Machleikas by Erev Tavshilin, so maybe he heard that Shmuel held that way by Erev Tavshilin, but he wanted to know if there is a debate. He wanted to know if there's any other opinion. So the Gemara says, wait a minute. hashta, pligi Meaning, in the case over there, the Gemara says it's a little bit unfair because in the first case, Rav and Shmuel disagree. Rav and Shmuel are on the same level of psak, they're the same level of greatness. Therefore, it's legitimate to say, who do you follow? But over here, he, if he had heard that Shmuel said this, there's no one. there was no one that he respected to that level that he would have asked about. Meaning, if he had heard Shmuel and Rav disagree, fine. But once he hears Shmuel says something, he wouldn't go fishing around for a second opinion. So therefore, he obviously hadn't heard that. Okay. Let's go a little there. The Gemara says like this. Um, the Gemara says, "Hahu Turzina There was this armed guard, non-Jewish guy, who lived in the neighborhood of Ravzera. And again, if you remember, when you're dealing with Erevin or Shetufim Avos, if there's a non-Jew there, you have to lease the rights to the area from him. So this is a non-Jewish guy. So Amrle, they said to him, Oigerlon Rishusa, please lease us the rights to this area. Le he refused. So they couldn't make an Erev. So also they come to Zera. So he said, Is there anything we could do? You got this guy who's refusing to lease the rights out. Is there anything we could do? So Amrle, they said, Maula Megav Debisus. They said, Can we at least, maybe we can lease the rights from his wife? You know, she's more kind to us. Does she have the, the, the power of attorney to, to give over the lease the rights? Of her husband. So Amrlahu, Hachi Amre Shlokish, Mashidigma Rabba, Mother of Chanina, or Shlokish Koder of Chanina, Ishre Shaloda, my Revish Lemidaite. A person's wife may do this on behalf of the husband without his knowledge or consent. So, yes, you could ask the wife to do it. Okay? The Gemara is going to explain when this is allowed. This is not allowed in every case, but this is allowed in this case. The, the, the Gemara continues, Ahu Terzuna, similarly, there was another armed guard, not Jewish, Shabusadar of Hudabar who lived in the neighborhood of Hudabar Aisha. Amrle, they said, Oigerlan Rishusa, please lease your rights to us. Loyagrle, he refused. They asked him, Amrle, Malamegadusa, can we lease the rights from his wife? Loyabiyadi, he wasn't sure. Oslakamdir of Masa, they asked him, Masa. Loyabiyadi, he wasn't sure either. The reason why the Gemara does this, it shows you that it's okay to say you don't know. 
Shmuel said you could. You're allowed to lease the uh, uh, um, uh, a wife is allowed to to join in the eruv even without the the husband's knowledge or consent. So you'd be allowed to lease the rights from the husband from the wife, at least the rights of the area from the wife without the husband's consent. So Shmuel's saying that it's okay even without the husband's consent. May so we have a kasha. The Brisa says, Nashim This Brisa says that if women join in an Eriv or join in Shatufim Vos without the knowledge of the husband, it's not effective. So you're telling me that it's effective, that you can do it, you can go through the wife without the husband's knowledge or consent, but this Brisa says no good. So what's the answer? So Gemara says, The Gemara answer is very simple, and that is, we've talked about this in the past. Sometimes you could have situations where you ask them to join in the Erev. Most situations, when you're being asked to join in the Erev, if you don't join, you're messing everybody up. Most times. Like 90% of the time, you're messing people up by not joining the Erev. If by you not joining the Erev, you're going to mess everybody up, the wife can do it for the husband. Why? Because deep down, the wife does not want her husband to be the cause of everybody getting angry. So if you have 10 people, and they ask the husband, can you please join in the Erev? And he says, no. And if he doesn't join in the Erev, everybody's messed up, the wife can do it for him. Why? Normally the wife does not have the legal ability to override the husband. But over here, because by him not joining, he's messing everybody up, the wife does want, want her husband to be the source of that. And deep down, he doesn't want to be the source of that either, so we allow it. However, if let's say there's a situation where joining the Erev is optional. And if he doesn't join it, he doesn't mess anybody up. It's an option. What's an example? A guy has two community drives that he uses. One more primary and one less primary. He doesn't have to join. He just has to choose which one. He doesn't have to join in both. So if you ask him, hey, can you join in this one? He says, no, it doesn't mess you up because he'll just join in the other one. That the wife cannot override. So the question is, what is the result of him not joining? If by him not joining, he messes everybody up, the wife can override him. But if by him not joining, he doesn't mess everybody up, then it, it doesn't. Then it's not necessary. Then the wife cannot override. So that's the question. You have to figure out, if he refuses, what is the result? That's the Gemara says. So right now we're saying, so when Shmuel said that the wife can override the husband and do it without his consent, it's not so much. It's not in every case. It's only when not doing it is going to mess everybody up. The Gemara says, This makes sense, that when Shmuel said that she could, it wasn't in absolutes. Because it's not in every case. Because if that were true, that Shmuel felt that the wife can do it in every scenario, then you'd have a contradiction. Why? Because Dhamma Shmuel also said, If you have a member of the Mavoy who regularly joins in the Erev, and for one reason, for, for, for some reason, one week he refuses. So every week he joins, but this week he says, I refuse. The halacha is that the members of the community drive can go into his house and take it against his will. What do you see from there? You can only do it against his will because he goes every week. Because he joins every week and then one week refuses, then you can go against his will. But if he never joins, you can't override his will. So that's the same Shmuel who said that the husband, that you can override the husband's will and have the wife 
uh, uh, do it without the husband's consent. So it's a contradiction. On the one hand, Shmuel saying the wife can always do it, no matter what she could override the husband against his will. On the other hand, he said that you could only override a person's will and do it against his will if he if he's if he donates to the heir of every week. But if he if he's not a normal donator there, if you can't force him, so it's a contradiction. If he was saying in absolutes that the wife can override the husband in every scenario, then no matter what, then why is he saying you can only go, uh, you can only uh, forcibly make someone join the Erev if he gives it every week? But if he doesn't, gen- if he's not a general giver to the Erev, you can't. I thought you could always override the husband. The answer is, it's not so true. You could only override the husband under certain circumstances, like where if he doesn't give, it'll cause to be problems to everybody. So the point is, he wasn't an absolute. So even when Shmuel, so Shmuel's belief when it comes to overriding a husband or or forcing someone to join the Erev, it wasn't necessarily in every case. So right now we're saying that Shmuel's ruling that a wife can override the husband or... If someone generally donates, you can go into his property and force him to join the Eriv. I want to bring a proof to this. The Brisa says, We can force someone to donate money to construct a lechi or a kaira for a mavi. Again, if a mavi is open on the fourth side, you have to, besides for the shetuf and mavais, you have to wall off the fourth side to allow you to carry. How do you do that? So you put up a lechi, which is a sidebar, or a kaira, a crossbar. So let's say, and who pays for that? Everybody donates. Everyone ships in a couple bucks. Let's say one guy's refusing. The halach is you could force him to pay. So that's in line. That's a proof to Shmuel's viewpoint. Go to the next page. That Shmuel said that you could force someone to join the Erev. This makes sense. You could also force someone. The proof for that is, is from this Bryce that says you could force someone to have to donate to pay for the construction of a Lechi or a So again, Shmuel said that you could force someone to join the Erev, and the proof for that is, let's bring a proof from this Bryce that says that you could force someone to pay for the Lechi of the curse. The Gemara says, no. Shani hasam The Gemara says, no. Maybe that's not a proof at all. Maybe Shmuel's wrong. Maybe you can't force someone to pay for the to join the Erev. Ah, you could force them to pay for the Lechi or Kora. I'll tell you why. The Lechi or Kora is a fourth wall. It adds protection. I add a little, little protection, but it adds something. You could force someone to wall off his area because everyone is responsible to make sure that the area is protected as best it can. So you, have to, you could force him to pay for the crossbar because that adds a little bit of protection. But there's zero proof that you could force someone to join an Erev. Why? Erev is a halachic permissibility allowing you to carry. Why does he have to? Why? Why can he be compelled to force to join that? You could force me to fence in my area for protection from animals or whatever it is. But... You're going to force me to join Erev? Who said? They're not the same at all. Lishna achrinam mitzad shani. It's unclear what these words mean. It's definitely a girsa. Uh, some say it means bebezdin. Bezdin, maybe, meaning maybe. It's unclear what these words are. Honestly, if you look at the Goyes Miranchberg and the Goyes Habach, they're trying to figure out what these words, what the girsa is. If it's bebezdin, it means that you could force him in bezdin, meaning you can't just go into his property. But it's a little unclear what that means. Itmar. There's a machlekes of whether you're allowed to make the crossbar or the sidebar from an asherah tree. Again, asherah tree is a tree that was used for Abu Zara. So Rechia Barashi says you could use the lechi, the sidebar, the sidebar at the side of the mavic can be from an asherah. And Rishlagish says even the crossbar. 
So Gemara says, who's the bigger chiddush? Rish Lakish. Why? The chiddush of Rish Lakish is, and the other one, Rav disagrees with Rish Lakish. He does not okay with a kaira. I'll tell you why. What's the size of a lechi? The minimum size of a lechi? There is no minimum size. Any size. It doesn't matter. As long as it stands up, you're good to go. A kaira, though, if you remember, way back when, we discussed that a kaira has to be wide enough to hold a brick. A half tefach brick. So because it has to be wide enough to hold a brick, it has a shear. The rule is that something from an asherah, an avodazara has to be burnt. Something that has to be burnt, it's as if it's burnt right now. It's called kitute mechtashure. It does not have a shear right now. So it's a very big chiddush that Rishlakish would allow you to use an asherah tree for the sidebar, for the crossbar, because the crossbar has to have a minimum size. Usually something that belongs to Avodah does not have a halachic size, because it's as if it's burnt right now. So that was a very big chiddush of Rishlakish. Okay. Let's go to the next Mishnah. So, we're going to see there's a minimum amount of food that people have to donate towards the Shetufi Mavos. We're going to see it's basically a Gregorist per person. Nismaida Eichel, let's say the Shetufi Mavos food was diminished. I don't know, it was eaten by an animal, people ate it, whatever it is. So on Shabbos it became diminished. Then Moisifu Mazake, you add, you add food, you could add food, and you could add food on behalf of other people. Because again, each person has to give a certain amount. So let's say each person has to give three ounces. And based on the math, I don't know, there's ten people, so it's thirty ounces. But then halfway through Shabbos, five ounces get eaten. So I could donate the five ounces on behalf of other people, but I have to do again mezaka. And I don't have to tell them. I don't have to ask them if they're cool with that, because there's no reason why they would have a problem. And if more residents come on Shabbos, if more residents come... I don't know when they came in. If more residents come, maybe even during the week. So they come, so now, you know, you have the standard Shetuf and that you're using every week. You're using the same matzah every week. And now two guys come in, so we have to add for them. So Moisev Mizak again, I could add for them and do Zacha Zachin. So I get a third person to um, to acquire it on their behalf. But but I have to ask them. You can't just do... Um, Eruvi Chatzeros or Shetuf without asking consent. What's the amount of food, the minimum amount of food that has to be donated towards Shetufim Mavos? So, if there's a lot of people, the Gemara is going to explain, if it's 18 people, then Then as long as there's enough food for two meals, you're fine. So once it's 18 or up, then each person doesn't have to donate a certain amount. It's just two meals worth, which is 18 groigris. Once it hits 18 people, or let's say it's 20 people, they just have to give 18 groigris. That's it, which is two meals worth. 100 people, 18 Gregors. That's it. Bizman Shein Mutim, but if it's less than 18 people, then Gregors Each person has to give a Gregors, a dried fig. Amre of Yossi, Bamed Varmor, and when do we say that there's a measurement? Betchilas Erev, that's for setting up the Erev. That's when each person has to donate that amount. Avabashiari Erev, but let's say they donated that amount, but it got eaten. Then, Erev Kalshu. Rev Yossi feels that. Once the shittuf took effect, then even if it gets diminished, you don't have to replenish. So he disagrees with that first opinion. He feels that does not you don't have to replenish. We also mentioned that there's a concept called Eruvi Chatzeros and Shetuf and Bevo. So we've had in the past that you have to do both. And the Mishnah says you have to do both. And you only have to do both 
in order so that people don't forget that there's a concept of Erev Chatseros. Because if you just do Shetufim Evos, while it technically should be effective, over time people are going to forget that there's a concept called Erev Chatseros. Okay, so he said that if the food diminish, you could add for people, and you don't have to, you don't have to tell them. What's the case? When you're adding food, what type of food? Let's say they added, they all donated matzah. Now, I'm adding, I'm, the food became a little bit diminished, so I'm replenishing. So the Mishnah says you don't have to tell people. The question is, what type of food is it? Again, if the food diminished, you don't have to tell people. The implication is, if the food was completely eaten, and I'm re-donating it for people, I have to tell them. So, if it's just um, replenishing, I don't have to tell, but if it's completely replacing, I do. The question is, what type of food? Am I replacing or replenishing the same food? Meaning, they donated matzah, I'm also giving matzah for them? Or is they donated matzah, I'm giving olives? That's the question. What's the case? If you're supplementing the food with the same type of food, they gave matzah, you're also donating matzah to replenish on their behalf. Then why does the Mishnah say diminish? Which implies that if it was completely gone, you'd have to ask permission. It's not true. If it's the same food, you don't have to ask permission even if you're replacing. So why does the Mishnah say diminish? It should be even if it's completely consumed. It must be the cases where you're replenishing with different food. They donate matzah, you're donating olives. The problem is, if that's the case, then you should have to ask them permission, because who said that they want, right? They would, a lot of times, they would eat this food. Who says that they want olives? The Brisa says that if it's the same food that you're replenishing, then even if you're replacing, it's completely consumed, it's fine. If it's a different type of food, then so the question is like this. The Mishnah implies that if you're replenishing, you don't have to tell them. But if you're replacing, it's completely gone, you do have to tell them. So the question is, what's the case? If it's the same type of food, you should never have to tell them. If it's a different type of food, you should always have to tell them. So it's like, it's either yes or no. Why does the Mishnah imply this middle ground? So the Gemara answers, I can make the Mishnah work that you're replenishing the same food or different food. I can make it work either way. How so? I could tell you that it's talking about the same food. And my nismait, and when the Mishnah says dwindle, it means nismat mate, which means it was crumbled, completely destroyed. Meaning, when we said in the Mishnah that you're replenishing, you're not replenishing, you're actually replacing. So again, we had a problem. If we're talking about the same type of food, then why does the Mishnah say replenishing, which implies that if you're replacing, you'd have to tell them it's not true. The answer is, we're not talking about a case of replenishing. It means replacing. That's what it means. And you don't have to tell them because it's the same amount of food. Same type of food. Or the Mishnah is talking about a completely different type of food. And so why, do you, so, uh, so why don't you have to tell them? And you only have to tell them when it's completely gone. Okay. Meaning, and the Chiddush and the Mishnah is that if it's a different type of food, you only have to tell them if it's completely gone. But if it's replenishing, you don't have to tell them. Okay, let's just finish up. The fact that if people were added, people moved in, so you could add for them, help them join in the Shetuf of but you have to ask them consent, that shows you that to have people join in the Shetufim Mavos, you can't do it for them unless you ask them consent. That is not like Rav Yehuda. 
Why? The Tanan, the Mishnah says later on, Rabbi Yudah says, I'm Rabbi Yudah Medavor, I'm Rabbi Chumen. Av Erev Chatseris, Ma'arv Mein Ladas, Min Shalai Ladas. Rabbi Yudah holds that for it comes to Erev Chatseris or Shetufim Vavos, you do not have to ask people permission, you can just do it for them on their behalf without asking them. So our Mishnah, which says that you have to ask them, is obviously not like Rabbi Yudah. Because again, Rabbi Yudah holds, you don't have to ask them. Why? Because Rabbi Yudah says, why do you have to ask them for? Who would ever have a problem? Who would ever say no to this? You're just saying, hey, I'm going to take care of it for you so that you can carry. Great. Who would ever have to say, who would, why do you have to ask? So Rabbi Yudah holds, you don't have to ask, but our Mishnah says you do. So our Mishnah is not like Rabbi Yudah. So Gemara says, Prita, of course. Okay. I know that they argue. How could they work? Our Mishnah says you have to ask permission. Rabbi Yudah says you don't. So how can it work? The Gemara says, I could have made it work. How so? I could have said that really our Mishnah holds you don't have to ask them consent. I, the Mishnah says you do. The Mishnah is talking about a case where you have one person who has two community drives and he, and, and, and he only joins in one Erev. The other one, he just locks the door. So he only goes to one Erev. So you, you have to ask them, which one do you want to use? So maybe when the Mishnah says you have to ask them, it's not asking them consent to join the Erev. I could argue it's asking them, which Erev would you like to join? It's not asking them consent, it's asking them direction. Like, do you mind if you join the Erev, or, as opposed to, or do you want to go to the other community drive? So I could have argued that really our Mishnah holds you never have to ask permission, and in this case the only reason why you have to ask them is because they have two options, you got to know which one they want. Kamashmala know that our mission says you yeah, always have to ask permission, not like Rabbi Yehuda. Kamahu right? So the mission says, how much do you have to donate to the thing, to the food? So if if it's a large chavra, then it has to be two meals worth. If it's a smaller chavra, gregorious per person. So how much is a large chavra? So I told you 18, but the Gemara speaks it. I come Reuben. I'm going to read the Esther, Ibn Adam, 18 people. So the Gemara says, Shemayin Esther, Suloi, exact the 18 and not more. The Gemara says, no, Eimer, Shemayin Esther, 18 and up. 18 and up. Oh yeah, everyone has to just donate between all of them two meals worth. My Shemayin Esther, Danaka, why Shemayin Esther, why 18? The answer is very simple. We want that every person donates. We want that there should be at least um, one Gregoris per person. So, up to two meals. Two meals worth is 18 Gregoris. So if there's less than 18 people, they all have to donate a Gregoris. We, we basically, we want either every person to have a Gregoris or two meals worth between them. So the significance of the number 18 is that 18, 18 Gregoris is two meals worth. So therefore, because we want either each person to have a Gregoris available to them or two meals worth total, because that's considered Chashiv, so the reason why we said 18 is because once you donate, once 18 Gregoris are in effect, it becomes two meals worth. So we want either for each person to have a Gregoris or two meals worth between everybody. So therefore, up to 18 people, everyone donates a Gregoris. Once it's 18 people, that's two meals worth. And then you don't have to donate a Gregoris per person, you just have to make sure there's two, Greg, two meals worth sachakol between them, just 18 Gregoris total. Um, let's just do the mission, then we'll stop. Bechol ma'ariv mishatvin, all food can be used for erevin or shetufim evos. 
Chutz minamay minamelach, except for water and salt. Those are the only ones that are not acceptable. Div Rebeleza, that's Rebeleza's opinion. So Rebeleza holds for Shetuf Avos, you can use any food. Rav Yeshua, no, Rav Yeshua disagrees. Rav Yeshua holds, not only does it have to be bread, it has to be a whole loaf. Kik or hu eriv. It has to be a whole loaf. Afilu mafasav hu prusein ma'arvimba. And therefore, even if you have a tremendously large slice of bread, no good. But kikab iser, but a small loaf, ma'arvimba, and it's whole, it's good. Meaning, so according to Rav, who's this? Rav Yoshua, not only does it have to be bread, it has to be a whole loaf. Even if it's a small whole loaf, that's more desirable and that's acceptable as opposed to a large slice of bread. I will stop here. We'll pick it up uh, tomorrow. Pleasure.